well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. Hank has kind of become a legend in the pilot industry. His name's Henry Dempsey. He's a 46-year-old pilot of a Beechcraft 99. I've got a picture of an airplane that is a Beechcraft 99. And uh, Henry Dempsey, back in September of 1987, was flying one of these with his co-pilot, Paul Boucher. And they were flying without any passengers, headed back somewhere, when... Dempsey heard something rattling in the back of the plane. So he turned the controls of the plane over to his co-pilot, and he walks to the back of the plane to check it out. Well, as he gets toward the back of the plane, there's some turbulence. They're flying at about 4,000 feet. When they hit the turbulence, it caused them to kind of stumble, and he falls into the door of the plane, the rear door. Well, when he hits the door, the door flies open, and immediately the the cabin becomes unpressurized, and it begins to suck Henry Dempsey out of the plane. As he's falling out of the plane, the door which opens down, he grabs hold of the cables on the door and pins his feet just inside the door jams of the plane, holding on for dear life. Well, his co-pilot, Paul Boucher, realizes that the door has come open, has no clue whether or not Dempsey is still in the plane or not, so he immediately radios to make an emergency landing at the closest uh, airport. He also asked them to go ahead and notify the Coast Guard because they were flying off the coast of Maine and asked them to send the Coast Guard to begin looking for Dempsey. Fifteen minutes later, they finally touched down at Portland International Jetway there in Maine, and Dempsey is still holding on. They touch down at roughly 100 miles an hour, and as they touch down, Dempsey's face is about six inches off the ground. Boucher gets out of the plane, has no idea Dempsey has held on so long, runs over to him, the two of them embrace. It becomes a news story that circulates pretty, pretty quickly. And they asked Dempsey immediately after this incident, asked him you know, what it was like. And at that moment, he just said he's just thankful to see another sunrise and he doesn't want anybody to bother him. Well, a year later, he gives an interview. And in the interview, he says, those were the longest 15 minutes of my life. I would think so. That story to me is a picture of what we're talking about today. And the word that we're talking about today is endurance. Endurance is the ability to hold on when letting go would be so much easier. My guess is today that there are some of you who are here, you're just barely holding on. Life is just throwing a lot at you. Maybe it's just a pace of life that's really hard to sustain, and you're just trying to hold on as much as you can to the pace that you're currently living at. Maybe it's work. Maybe there's some stuff going on at work that's just really stressful. Maybe it's a boss or some employees. Maybe it's some relationships. Maybe it's a deadline, and you just worry, can you do it? Can you hold on? Can you keep going? Maybe it's stuff going on at home. Maybe it's problems in your family, marriage troubles, parenting struggles. You're just barely holding on. Maybe it's that you've been battling some emotional struggles, some things like depression, loneliness, anxiety. 
You just wonder, how much longer can I keep going? Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you received a bad report. Treatments have been awful. And you're sick and tired of being sick, feeling the way that you do. I don't know how many of us in this room are in that position. My guess is there are several that we're just barely holding on. I think there's a powerful message from God's Word for those of us today who are just trying to hold on as much as we can. There's a powerful text in Romans chapter 5 written by the Apostle Paul who is no stranger to suffering. What Paul's going to say comes from a background of of experience in affliction. He knows exactly what it means to be barely holding on. In fact, in many of his letters you can see that he's really struggling. And so what he's going to speak to us today is definitely easier said than lived, but it comes from a person's heart who at the time was living it and is able to not make light of our struggles, but to actually shed light on our struggles. And so here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. He says, we glory in our sufferings. That's a really weird phrase. We glory in our sufferings because we know that our suffering will produce perseverance and perseverance will produce character and character will produce hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us I want to start out looking at that first line we glory in our suffering the idea behind that is that Paul is telling us when life has you down you can still live with your head up high you can still keep your head up that word glory is translated a couple of different ways maybe your translation might say we rejoice in our sufferings some say we glory in our suffering some say we boast in our sufferings it's a weird word that just the idea behind it means to live with your head up high how can Paul say we can live with our head up high when life is constantly beating us down well it's because Paul had this understanding that we would do well to learn it more that in the kingdom of God everything that we understand is flipped upside down the values that are important in the kingdom of God are not that important in the kingdom of this earth that's why Jesus would teach something like blessed are those who are persecuted could you imagine feeling blessed from suffering for the name of Jesus. That's exactly what we see in the scriptures. Jesus said things like, blessed are the poor. And that kind of blows our mind because in our current culture, we think the, blo- the poor have been cursed. We think there's no way I'd ever want to live that way. But for Jesus, and in the kingdom, there's a blessing when you're completely reliant. He would, he would say, or the Hebrew writer would say, whoever wrote that book in chapter 12, verse 2, he says that Jesus viewed the cross with joy. He endured it with joy. How can you find joy in a cross? It's because of the upside down values that are present within the kingdom of God. I mean, you think about just the Christian religion as a whole. Our symbol of a religion, if there was one, is a cross. And that would cause someone who lived in the time of Jesus to just have their jaw hit the ground and be so appalled by that. Why would you ever pick an instrument of death as the symbol for who you were following? Yet, That's what we do. We wear them around our neck. We have them in our homes. That We have them in churches. That It's a big symbol of who we are because there is glory in the cross. That's what Paul would write in other places. We rejoice in the cross. There's glory in the cross because in the kingdom, everything that we experience is flipped upside down. All of our values are reversed. That's why Paul's going to say we rejoice in our sufferings. We glory in them. We boast in them. 
Here's why. It's because Paul knows something about your struggles. It's simply this, that there is a purpose to your perseverance. There is a purpose to your perseverance. There's a reason. There is something beneficial that's going to come from your suffering. I just find that really powerful that Paul is talking about there's something important about when we struggle. Now, in our culture, we kind of have a different set of values because in our culture, we want to remove as many struggles as possible. We run away from the difficult. We try to avoid anything that's too hard. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands because I know most, if not all of you, have done this at some point. You have decided to run through a drive through or to order DoorDash only because you don't want to go through the struggle of cooking dinner and cleaning it up when you're done. You don't have to raise your hand. You just nod your head because I know you've done it probably many times. And it's all out of convenience. There was food in the pantry. There was food in the fridge. There was plenty of stuff to cook. It's just you didn't want to. You didn't want the hassle of having to deal with all the mess that's going to come and the time it was going to take. It's because we're kind of conditioned to run away from what's difficult. There have been plenty of people who have quit a job because it was too hard. There's even a a phenomenon that's been going on for several years where people make millions of dollars playing video games. And the reason why they make millions of dollars is because of all the other people who are watching them play the video game. That kind of blows my mind, honestly, why you would watch someone play a video game. I remember growing up, we got almost into fist fights because it was my turn to play. My brother or sister wouldn't get off. I couldn't imagine being like, no, I'd rather watch you. You're better than me. I'd rather watch you beat the game. No, I want my shot. But this is what's going on in our culture. Rather than me try it, I'd just rather watch somebody do it because it'd be a lot easier. There's also this other kind of fad going on. It's kind of weird to think about. But my guess is some of us who are parenting have struggled with it before. It's called lawnmower parenting. It's the idea that we want to remove any obstacle from our children. We want to mow over any challenge that might come before them. And and it's, it's out of a good place. It's out of a desire for our kids to do better and to have it better than we had it. The problem is there's a purpose in the struggle. If you remove all of the struggles and difficulties from your life, you'll miss out on what God is trying to do. There's a couple of words that he uses that are really interesting. The word that Paul uses for endurance means to remain under, to remain under something. If you or someone you know has ever done any kind of weightlifting, then you know sometimes you have to get under something that's hard to lift. In fact, with the Olympics going on, one of the Olympic events is weightlifting. And each of those individuals is going to get under a weight that's incredibly heavy for them to lift. And they're going to struggle with all of their might just to do it one time. Not 10 reps, not 20 reps, just one. And if they can lift the most, they're going to win the goal. And they're going to go crazy because they're going to lift an amount that they've never lifted before. The deal is is that they have to get underneath and they're going to struggle through. And if you watch, their muscles are going to be shaken. Their legs are going to be like jello. Their arms are going to be going nuts. And with all their might, they're going to lift. And the word that Paul uses is that idea. It's to get under something and to struggle with all of your might. The other word that I find interesting is the word suffering. It, it means pressure. If you've got a pressure cooker, you know what I'm talking about. And some of you have been living in a pressure cooker. There's a lot of pressure from all sides on you right now. And you're under a burden that you're having a hard time lifting. You've been there a while. And you wonder, how much longer can I hold on? Well, don't miss what Paul says. God is at work in your struggle. And he's producing something. 
James is going to say something similar in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Same word, produces endurance. But he kind of changes the next sentence. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it do its thing. Stay under it while you're there. Don't do everything that you can to just get away without learning from it. Let that perseverance work in you. Let that struggle work in you to produce something. And here's what it's going to produce. It's going to produce maturity and completeness. And you know this. When you're going through a struggle, it causes you to grow up. It changes your outlook. Some of you struggled at a really early age, and you had to grow up faster than most of the other kids around you. You know that it matures you. It'll mature you psychologically. It'll mature you emotionally. It'll even mature you spiritually. There are times that we go through difficulties, and it makes us realize, and that wasn't as important as I thought it was. That's a maturity thing. It will make you complete. It will make you whole. It will make you stronger. There's a, an interesting thing that happens inside of an oyster shell, and I don't know how many of you eat oysters. I can't understand how you do, how you can tolerate something of that substance, and I don't care what you do to it, whether it's raw, whether you fry it. I, I don't care what sauce you put on it. It's just insane to me to put that into your body, but that's me to each his own. There's something interesting that happens inside of an oyster shell, though, that produces that beautiful pearl. Pearls are so valuable. We wear them around our necks, on bracelets, as earrings. They're, they're worth a lot of money, genuine pearls. But what has to happen in order for that pearl to be produced is something foreign has to invade that oyster shell and cause an irritation. And that oyster shell begins to struggle with whatever that foreign substance is, whether it's a grain of sand. And what happens is when it begins to become irritated, it, the oyster shell will release these different chemicals to try to heal the spot that has been irritated. And over time, these fluids will mix together to heal whatever it was that caused the irritation. And what it's left with is something beautiful, a pearl, something genuine, something strong, without the irritation, without the struggle, you would never have the pearl. I believe that's the idea that Paul is trying to communicate to us. If we try to run away, if we just give up and let go and we don't endure through it, we're going to miss out on what God is trying to do. He's working in us. It's not that he necessarily caused it, but he's definitely going to use it. And he's going to use that struggle, that affliction, that time where you just wish it would change. He's going to use it to make something more beautiful, something better, something stronger. There is a purpose in your perseverance. But the other thing that suffering does is it suffering is a revealer. It reveals something about us, and generally what it reveals is where we have placed our trust and our hope. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've gone through a difficult period, diff difficult season, and what it's revealed about you is that you've been trusting in yourself. You've been trusting in your ability to control, to manipulate, to change. But you know what? Sometimes there are situations in life that we're completely out of control. There's nothing we can do to change it. There's nothing we can do to manipulate it. And all we're left with is whatever or whoever we have placed our hope in. Maybe it's a bank account. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's people. 
Sometimes those are taken away. And what we're left with is the one who should be our ultimate hope. I pray that our struggles reveal our hope and trust in God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, in the same book in Romans, in chapter 8, wrote something so profound. I love this chapter. We could spend years there. Look at what he says in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time Oh, they're not worth to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Here's what, the, here's what Paul is talking about. When sin entered into the world, it not only cursed Adam and Eve and all of humanity, but it cursed the entire world. And all of creation was subjected to futility. That means that it lost its original purpose and something is not right. And what Paul is saying is all creation, all of God's creation, not just His human beings, not just His imagers, but all of creation is crying out. It's groaning, waiting for everything to be made right. That's what he's going to continue on to say. He says, we know that the whole creation, in verse 22, has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, crying out, God, how much longer? When is everything going to be made right? And not only the creation, but we ourselves, all of us who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Look at this last line. For in this hope we were saved. Where's your hope? What have you placed your hope in? When your spirit cries out, when your life cries out and groans and says, God, why is it like this? It's not supposed to be this way. God says back to you, you're right, it's absolutely not supposed to be this way. This was not what God intended. But sin cursed the world. Sin has caused us affliction. And we're living in a broken, fallen world. And there is a day coming where everything will be made right. And when your spirit cries out for that, when you recognize the injustice, when you recognize that this shouldn't be like this, hopefully it will reveal to you, place your hope in God. Because one day, He's going to make it all right. One day, He's going to restore it back to the way He originally intended. One day, He's going to redeem all of creation. Everything will be made right. It's not just you groaning. It's not just me groaning. It's our entire world is groaning for this hope. Our suffering will reveal the source of our hope. My prayer for each of us is that when we're going through a struggle, first place we cry out to is God. God, I don't know why, but I hope you'll work. Work in this situation. Work to make it right. Work to restore. Bring about good. Do your will. Change me from the struggle. So in 1977, there was a 15-year-old boy named Rick Hoyt. Rick wanted to run in a race it was a five-mile benefit run for a local lacrosse player who had recently been paralyzed in an accident. The problem with Rick is that he was born as a spastic quadriplegic. He also had cerebral palsy, and this was caused because at his birth, the umbilical cord wrapped around Rick's neck, and it deprived his brain of oxygen, and he was born with some severe disabilities and difficulties. 
At 15 years of age, he told his dad, I want to run in this race to benefit this young man. Problem is, Rick couldn't run. So he asked his dad to push him in his wheelchair. And his dad, Dick Hoyt, did. Pushed him in a wheelchair for all five miles. They came in next to last. When they got home later that night, Rick had this special computer where he could send messages that was created specifically for him to communicate with his family. And he typed out the message, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I don't have any disabilities. That statement changed the next 35 plus years for Dick and Rick Hoyt. For the next 35 plus years, they competed in over 1,000 races. They completed 255 triathlons. They completed 72 marathons. Over 30 times, they completed the Boston Marathon. They were even there, if you remember several years ago, when there was a bombing at the Boston Marathon. They were just about to finish. Thankfully, they were not injured. What a story. They wrote a book. Uh, It's a powerful testimony to these two of a father's love for his son. What Dick Hoyt would say is that it wasn't his desire to push his son around. It was his son who wanted so desperately to compete. Back in March, Dick Hoyt passed away at the age of 80. They have a foundation. Team Hoyt is what it's called. And they have a tagline. The tagline is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I love that. When you feel like, can you continue on? Yes, you can. When you feel like, can I, can I handle this? God, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure I can? Yes. Yes, you can. God, I don't know if I can hold on any longer. Yes, you can. Why? Because there's a purpose in your persevering. Because there's a hope that you have in Christ. Because you're suffering... Oh, it's not worth to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you and in me. So today, do you have the hope of Jesus? You can through Jesus. You can endure through Jesus. You can persevere. You can continue running the race of faith through Jesus. If this morning there's things going on in your life and you just need some help, you need some prayers, you want us to pray with you publicly, we'd love to do that. Gather arms around you and support you and try to help carry you a little bit of the way. If you need to do that privately and talk to somebody and have somebody pray with you, please, please, please talk to somebody today. Let them encourage you. Don't leave here carrying that same burden that you walked in with. You can continue and you have help. You have brothers and sisters that love you. This morning, if you find yourself outside of the hope of Christ because you've never given your life to Jesus, quit running this race alone. Run with Christ. Allow Him to wash away your sins in repentance, confession, and baptism. Giving your life to Jesus so that you can experience the hope that Paul talked about in Romans 8 so that there is a purpose in your persevering, so that there is a hope that what is revealed during your time of struggle is not a faith in yourself and in your ability. It's a faith in Jesus and in His ability we can help you in any way. We're going to sing a song. If you'll stand, just make your way to the front as we stand and sing.